Verse 38, here's what the word says, and we're going to read down to verse 44. Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench. The King James said, he stinketh. For he has been dead not one day, not two days, not three, but he's been dead four. That's going to mean something, and so that's really important that you pay attention to that. Verse 40, Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. And I know that you always hear me. Isn't that, that's some confidence in prayer. The way he's talking to the Lord, this is not a once a month prayer meeting. He, he has a relationship with God. And I, I, I do believe God answers everybody's prayer sovereignly as he wills. But I do believe he's moved by the ones who know him. Come on, look at me for a second. I believe in prayer he's genuinely moved by the ones who intimately know him. It wasn't his time to begin ministry, but Mary knew him well enough and needed him bad enough. Okay, y'all not ready for me to preach yet. Let me finish the verse. Let me read verse 41 again. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I, th I thank you that you have heard me. Verse 42, and I know you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that, you, that they may believe that you have sent me. Now, when Jesus had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice and said, Lazarus, come forth. Somebody say, Lazarus, come forth. Our last, ver our last verse, and I love hearing the sound of the babies. And he who had died, came out bound, hand and foot, with grave clothes. And I love the goodness of God. And his face was wrapped with a cloth. While everybody else stood there taking pictures and posting them on Instagram and judging them, Jesus decided to finish the deliverance. And in our last line, he says to them, loose him and let him go. God, speak to us today. Pray that your son would be glorified, your people edified, and Satan terrified. Teach us the power of a testimony in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. You can be seated. Would you look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, there's power in your story. Look at your other neighbor, say, other neighbor. You may not know this, but the reason you can't be quiet about all that God's done for you is because your story means something. What do you do when Jesus does not answer your prayer? What, what do you do when you fast and he still doesn't answer? What do you do when you pray and it seems like your prayers don't make it past your hairline? What do you do when it seems like God is busy blessing everybody else and you seem to be the only one who's going through the everlasting season of trial and tribulation. Can I present to you that the only reason that God chastises you are two reasons. One, because he wants to make you like him. I knew that one wasn't going to get too many amens because we want to be famous. We don't want to be like Christ. We want to be right. We don't want to be like Christ. We want to have our dignity. We don't want to be like Christ. It's real quiet in this Baptist church, but this is the only gospel I have to preach, and I'm going to preach it anyway. But not only is it because God wants us love to be more like him, but the other reason why God puts us through all the hell that he puts us through, this is gonna make a strange phrase for you, but it's because he loves you. That just doesn't sound, that feels abusive to me. How can you say that I'm going through what I'm going through and God's allowing me to go through what I'm going through and you're saying that it's because he loves me? What do you do when God is, okay, let me put it this way, Lazarus was sick. And Jesus had been healing folks night and day. There was a woman with the issue of blood, and all she had to do was touch the hem of his garment. Jesus didn't even know her name, called her woman, and still healed her. And Lazarus is dying. 
Jesus has walked on water and watched Peter walk from the boat, saw him sink, and then picked him up, walked back in the water, and now Lazarus is sick. Jesus has gone around spitting in mud and in people's eyes, healing blinded eyes and cleansing lepers, but now Lazarus is sick. Why do you keep saying that, Pastor Dell? Because Jesus gets a text message from his assistant that his boy, Lazarus, has, is dying. He's not dead yet, but I need you to understand something. This is not just any ordinary person. This is not even just a follower of Jesus. This is one of Jesus's close friends. That's why it hurts my feelings to know that Jesus, when Lazarus calls, goes the other way. Now, I know you're sitting up there and God answers all your prayers and you speak in a million syllables per minute, but there are a few of us who have had some days where we're praying for a wife and we look at the brother who... Now, I know I'm not a 10, but Jesus be offense. No, I, don't sit there and act like you don't know what I'm talking about. You're praying for a promotion and you're looking at God bless other folks who don't even tithe. Oh, it's real quiet, but I'm going to work this gospel. See, I, I know what it feels like to pray and have God go the opposite way. Here's what makes it worse. God goes the opposite way, and his boys remind him, the last time we were there, they tried to kill us. Wait a minute. Not only are you going to help other people, but you're going to help people who don't even like you. And here I am, one of your closest friends, and when I call you, you don't even come. Have you ever had God love you enough to wait? Hmm. Yeah, I thank God, Gina, for every prayer that he's ever answered. But there are some prayers and some exes that I thank God he didn't answer. Yeah, I know you can't say amen because your dating life's been perfect. But there are some folks I was praying for that I look back and say, dear Jesus. Okay, I got three and a half witnesses. The rest of y'all, y'all ain't never been on Christian Mingle. You've never had a bad experience. Okay, you sit there. No, no, I know what it feels like to have God love you enough. Just say, not yet. <laughs> Wait a minute. Let me stop you. Because some of you think that God is just delaying you. But watch this. I have, I've had God love me, John, enough to say, not at all. Look at, see, let's amen. See, I knew that one. Because we like the idea that, okay, I can wait because I'm going to get it someday. But what if what you want isn't actually what God wants for you? Has he ever loved you enough to make you wait? I don't know how long the time period it is that Lazarus, I feel my help coming on, Lazarus has been dying, but he is dying, and Jesus doesn't even go in his direction, and we know that Jesus can heal, and now Lazarus, when Jesus arrives, has been dead for four days, and Jesus wants a plate at the repast. He wants macaroni and cheese, some collard greens and cornbread, he wants some ham hocks. You can see where the black section in our church is. He wants some fried chicken and some ribs. And Martha's not really feeling Jesus. She's still serving him because um, she's Martha. And that's what Martha does. Martha serves even if she's angry. She doesn't check her heart. You know Martha comes to church. She serves in the choir. She helps on the worship team. She serves as an usher. And see, what Martha is, is a person who serves, but with the right, wrong spirit. She's, she's serving, but she forgets why she's serving. And so when the pastor doesn't say thank you, because she was serving for the affirmation, okay, that example didn't hit. Let me try a different one. Yeah, you can always tell who you're doing it for by when you're not acknowledged, when you're not affirmed, if you're offended. And Martha is offended. Because I heard the stories about how the folks, you heal, and you got the nerve to come in my house. And, and, and she can't tell Jesus she's mad because Jesus is Messiah. So she takes it off on her brothers and sisters. See, some of y'all think you're mad at the person you're mad at, and you're really not mad at them. You're mad at Jesus. But you refuse to stop being religious and deal with the fact that you're mad at the disappointment that you've had in your walk with faith. So you take it out on your pastor. Come here. You take it out on your leaders. You take it out on your spouse. You take it out on your parents. You take it out on your friends. Y'all, I thought I preached a funeral yesterday. They were louder than y'all. I, I need you to understand something, that Martha is dangerous because Martha doesn't deal with the fact that Jesus could have done something and he didn't. It's okay to be honest. <laughs> I've had some conversations with the Lord. Come here. I prayed for this one. You gave me a couple dreams. 
I fasted, and you know I like to eat. Because here's what happens. If I don't take care of my offense towards the Lord, I bleed on the ones I lead. Oh, it's so, this is, this is so, I wish I was sitting where you're sitting. This is so, so good. Because I'm trying to help you deal with the fact that God wants a real relationship with you, not a religious one. He's not short of servants. We are. He's not short of money. We are. You get up to heaven, guess what gold is? Cement. He's not after your money. What he's after is your heart. And what he will do is take you on the other side of a fence before you receive breakthrough. Oh, so Lazarus has not been dead for one day. He's not been dead for two. He's not been dead for three. But Pastor Andrew, he's been dead for four. You've gone to seminary, and so you already know this, that there were a group of religious leaders. I can't remember if it was the Pharisees or the Sadducees, but it was one of those who believed in resurrection. The other group did not believe in resurrection. But the one group that believed in resurrection believed that it could only happen up until three days. I see why Jesus had to wait. I almost ran, but my pants are too tight because God didn't just want to heal him. God wanted to get some glory that he couldn't get any other way, but if all hope was lost. So I see why, because I'm going to bust up your theology. You think you know God and what God will and won't do? i show you what I'll do on day one. I'll heal him. On day two, I'll heal him. Day three, and if he dies on day four, I'll heal him on day four. God is not bound by our rules. So I see why he waited. I was mad, but I get it now. I almost took the job, and I was mad that I didn't get it, but look at me now sitting on six figures and benefits I couldn't have even asked for. All I had to do was wait. Four days. You say I can't heal nobody in four days? Watch this. So Jesus comes up. They're making his little dinner play. He has a little theological conversation with Martha because when we're offended, we get real religious. You remember the conversation? Um, if you would just believe, he'll be resurrected. Martha's response, because she's offended. I've taken a couple of Bible courses. And I just, I already know that on that great day, he'll be resurrected on, on resurrection. And doesn't that sound like us, someday syndrome? I, just, I know one day he's going to do it. But what if he wants to do it today? But here's the reason why she couldn't have faith, because she was believing for a resurrection instead of believing for the resurrection. What's the difference? A resurrection is an act. The resurrection is a person, and his name is Jesus. See, what's the transition? This is so important in the foundation of your Christology that you understand that, he, that, that let me correct your Hebrew. You've been calling God the provider. The Hebrews knew God not to be the provider. They knew him to be provision. So go back and read it. It does not say that God sent a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. That's not what it says. It says that he was the pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day. Why? This is where you get the word of faith movement because they want the stuff without the stuffer. And here's the dangerous part. God is good. So sometimes he'll allow the enemy to give you what you asked for. Oh, you didn't know the enemy could bless? It's really a cursing, but he disguises it as a blessing. And here's the difference and why it's dangerous in this whole reality. And this is where we get disappointment. Because we put our faith for healing instead of the healer. And so here's the danger. Sometimes you can get the healing and not get the healer. But there ain't never a time you get the healer. You're stepping ahead of me and not get the healing. This is why Moses was standing in front of God, shaking in his boots. I got it right this time. And he's standing in front of the burning bush, having a conversation because God has given him an assignment. But Moses does not carry enough authority to accomplish the assignment. And so he looks at God and says, God, who do I say sent him? Because if I say Moses, I know I grew up with him, but those are my boys. And you know how boys are. When you get a little elevated, they start looking at you funny. They're not going to respect me. So I need to know who am I coming. And God should have said, tell them that I'm the deliverer because that's what Moses was going to do. But the problem is that if God just was a deliverer, when God got to the Red Sea, he wouldn't have been a water parter. So what God says is, I want you to know that I'm not just a deliverer, because that's the truth. It's just not the full truth. I'm also a healer. Wait a minute. That's not the troll truth. I'm also a, a burden bearer is what my parents used to call it. Now, now why is this important? Because I want to ask you, 
What is your faith in? Is it in the stuff of God or in God himself? And here's how you can ask yourself to find out the reality of your heart. If you don't get your heart's desire, will you still serve him just as strong? If he doesn't give you what you want, you walking around here taking it out on everybody? Some of you right now, the reason you can't really worship is because you're mad at God. And you can tell what really is an idol in your heart. All right, I got 28 minutes. Let me finish this. I don't, I was sick. Like laid out, couldn't get up. I don't, I don't know what happened. I'm gonna eat now. I feel like having food. So Lazarus has been dead for four days. Watch this. And after the whole conversation that Martha and Jesus have, Martha, oh, I know what the resurrection is. I've been to Bible college. I got my eschatology down. Jesus is like, baby girl, if you really knew your theology, you'd realize that I am theology incarnate, that the resurrection is in front of you, that everything you've been believing for, I am. You don't really want a new job. You want me. You don't really want a new spouse. You want, please don't want a new spouse. You want me. I don't need anybody needing a new spouse. I've got enough issues. Come on. <laughs> I'm kidding. And after they have this conversation, Jesus gives them a command. He says, show me where you laid them. And they went walking. But here's the problem in 2022, Christina. When God asks us where we laid him, because each and every one of us has two things. Number one, each and every one of us has a Lazarus issue that we're going through right now. But if we're honest, there's an internal Lazarus in all of us that needs to die and be resurrected daily. Oof. So Christina, Jesus says, show me where you laid him. And when he was talking to Mary and Martha, he was talking about a location, a geography. But for some of you, you laid Lazarus in 1994 after your heart was broken and you decided you would never love another man again. Show me where you laid him. For some of you, it's back two years ago at the last church that hurt you and it took you so long to even join this one because you're, show me where you laid him. No, 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 I, I, I'm not talking about San Jose or Fremont. I, I'm talking about show me where you laid the disappointment. Show me where you stopped believing. Show me you used to be on fire for God, sitting in the front row, showing 15 minutes early, shouting and dancing, and now you have no more energy for faith because life has beat you up so much. Show me where you laid your doubt. Show, show me where you stopped believing. You used to think you were going to be a missionary, travel the nations and preach the gospel, and here, show me. They start walking and everybody starts crying. And Jesus is not phased by the tears of those who are crying because everybody who's crying has been hired to cry. That was the Jewish tradition. And you got to be careful because in your journey of deliverance, there are people who will feel sorry for you and that's not what you need. You do not need sympathy in this season. And stop calling the lack of sympathy unkindness. Some of you need to be pushed to your next season. No, I know you don't like this aggressive word right here, but some of you need to be pushed into tithing. Feels a little aggressive. So are your demons. And it's so funny, because once we start going hard after God, that religious spirit, oh, it don't take all that. In the world, Jaeger all night. Drink, go hard, and then show up to work like nothing happened. I'm seeing head nods, so I know you got a testimony. And as soon as you get saved, you turn. <laughs> show me where you laid your personality that you let die because somebody told you it wasn't godly. You used to be fun, and now you think Christianity is boring. No, you're boring. Show, show me. Where you laid your dead hopes and your dead dreams. Show me where you laid your testimony. Ooh, 
When you first got saved, you told everybody about everybody that you slept with, and now you're sitting here pretending like you've been saved, born in Apostle Paul's lot, born speaking in tongues, but the truth is, before you were a deacon, you were a demon, before you were a preacher, you were a prostitute, so don't sit here and look at me funny. Answer my question, where did you lay him? And they walk, while everybody's crying, Jesus does his weeping, and we won't know till we get up to heaven why he was weeping, but we do know this, it's all right to cry a little bit. I know that's weird, because I just told you you don't need people crying for you, but some of you need to cry a little bit because you're dead inside. But weeping may endure. I ain't got no help. I know the scripture says for a night, but for Jesus, it lasted four verse. Come here, come here. Don't believe the lie. You don't have to live with depression. You don't have to live brokenhearted. You don't have to live in disappointment. Some of you have entertained those negative thoughts and you thought that's what you're supposed to do because that's what your mama did. And she put that spirit on you. And so even now you're 38 years old and every time she sees, you put a jacket on? I've been, I've been an adult for 18 years. If I don't have the jacket by now, and so now you're sitting around here full of anxiety about every decision. You're sitting depressed about every mistake because you learned that behavior is so quiet in here. But Jesus wept, but he wept for a verse. Two things I want to say. You need to cry. Just don't cry too long. Or if you start crying, make sure you cry with a hammer in your hand because you got some boulders to move. If you've got to cry, cry with a sword in your hand because you've got some battles to fight. Jesus cried and then he told them something incredibly rude. He said, you move the stone. Wait a minute, Jesus, you do it. That's why I'm praying. But what if Jesus wants to partner with you in deliverance? Okay, let me, let me say it the way I wanted to say it. It's a little meaner. Um, you put him there, you get him. See, the reason why some of us don't get breakthroughs is because we're spiritually lazy. Let me tell you, in this season, a verse a day is not going to keep the devil away. Listen, it's, man, it's not about quantity. Yeah, yeah, say that about your sex life with your spouse. I felt a cold chill. Saw some spouses... What am I saying? I'm not saying that you got to spend hours with God every day, but why not? Like I, the reason I got to say this is because I hear so many voices who say it doesn't take all that. You don't got to spend time with God for extended periods of time. You can just make it quick. And I believe in that. I'm not telling you I spend hours with the Lord, but do you ever? Do you ever still, you spend hours with Netflix? Hours on TikTok. And you walk away worse than when you started. I'm a witness. Jesus sweeps. We've got 20 minutes. And after he's done weeping, he tells them to move the stone. Because in this play of deliverance, there's some work that you're going to have to do. Now, Lazarus is getting delivered. So he's not the one moving the stone. So can I ask you, how's isolation working for you? Oh, I don't need to go to church. How's it working? Still depressed every other week? Still have no one to pull you through? Yeah, you need, see, here's the thing about a fire. If you get small kindlings, they'll never build a big fire until they get together. A small kindling, I was thinking about this this week, will die out if it's not together with other kindlings. What creates the fire is that I've got a little faith, you got a little faith, I barely feel like making it in here. Jesus, I'm going to be here 30 minutes late, and I'm going to have to leave 15 minutes early, but I'm going to be here. I'm going to put my fire in this, and we're going to kindle together. Lazarus could not move the stone, but he had enough relationships in his house, in his life, that knew Jesus well enough. No, come here, because you thought I was talking about friends. No, no, no. I'm talking about something deeper than that. It's not enough to have friends. Do they know Jesus? I'm not saying not to have secular friends because I've got homosexuals who will probably never get saved and I call them friends, not ministry projects. So have some unbelievers who are friends. Don't be that weird person at work who you can't cuss around me. Let them cuss. Start speaking in tongues. I promise you they'll stop. 
But Lazarus has a bunch of people in his life who know Jesus well enough that when Lazarus, Lazarus can't pull himself out of the grave, He's got some folks who he's accountable to that know Jesus well enough that can roll the stone away when he's too dead to do it because even young men grow weak and tired. And there are some days where as your pastor, I'm sitting in that little core team room before service saying, Lord, blow the trumpet. Come on down, Jesus. I'm not having sex anyway. I'm ready to go. Let's go. Um, uh, Jesus, I'm tired. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of the financial struggle of the Bay Area. Oh, I'm going to tell all my business today. I'm tired of people. Ministry would be easier without people. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm tired of having to find a new building every few months. I'm tired of not having childcare. I'm, Lord, I'm sitting back here. Andrew, you're going to have to preach today. And Andrew knows Jesus well enough. See, some of you, you're nervous because if you were to text somebody right now that you're going through, they wouldn't know how to respond. It is a sad reality that you can text a friend about your trouble and all they can do is offer tears. I love empathy. Jesus is empathetic. He is 100% man so that he can empathize with what we're going through, but he's 100% God that when he's done crying, he can do something about what we're going through. And you need to be like Jesus. You need to have the heart of Jesus, but the power of Jesus. You need to have both. And he rolls the stone away and the stench. Because Lazarus has been dead for four days. Yeah, he's wrapped up and nightly, tightly wound, but he is dead. He's good and dead. But they had rolled the stone away and the stench because Deliverance never smells good. <laughs> That's why some of you won't walk through it now because you're afraid of how you're going to smell. Yeah, yeah, I'm telling you. You'll go, this is, I know folks right now who are not coming to church because they're going through. Because I don't want people to know how I smell. But if you're going to get delivered, you're going to have to also be vulnerable. Come here. Come, come a little closer. Because you are so emotionally unhealthy that you're not ready for the breakthrough that God has for you. Because if he brought it, you would not be able to sustain it. And you don't have enough vulnerability that's required in the process of deliverance. And so are you willing to sit among the masses while you still stink? <laughs> I'm your pastor. I'm trying to stink everywhere I go. We've had some meetings, haven't we? Where we've talked about how I stink. But here's the thing I love about Jesus. He's not offended by the way you smell. <laughs> that deserved at least 10 seconds of a hand clap and praise. That Jesus doesn't care about how you look. He doesn't care about how you smell. Lazarus! Come forth. And they told me when I was younger, they said he had to say Lazarus. Because if he just said come forth, everybody would have come. And I believe it. Sure, we can run with that. But here's really why I believe he called out Lazarus. Because everybody else had no hope. But Jesus wanted him to know, no matter who's forgotten about you, no matter who thinks your story is over because you've been dead for four days, no matter who thinks that you stink too much and your smell is offensive, no matter who gets frustrated with how long you've been on drugs, no matter what parent kicks you off of their payroll because of the person that you're willing or not willing to be with for the rest of your life, no matter what you're going through, here's what Jesus wants you to know. I remember your name. Not dead guy, come forth. Because I'm not going to see you as what you're going through. But I'm going to call you by your name because I'm not here to identify your sickness, I'm here to change your identity. The woman with the issue of blood, you're still calling her that, but she ain't got an issue no more. So at the end of the story, after she gets healed, the Bible says she starts off being called the woman with the issue of blood. But then Jesus turns around after making her whole and calls her daughter. Because he knows your address.
single mom, I know you think you're the only one out here and you're struggling, but he still remembers your name. I know your family's frustrated because you just can't get your life together. You've been in the grave so long, they don't even believe you can come out. But Lazarus, come out! Start wiping their tears. You hear that? What, what is that? It's kind of dark in there, deep cave. What's going on? No, you're kidding me. That's not. I'm not making big steps. I'm still tied up. But at least I'm coming out. I'm sorry, Pastor Dell. I don't read hours a day yet. But I did get a chapter in today. No, I can't worship 45 minutes like y'all do yet, but I got a good five. I can't serve yet because my back hurts, and I don't know if I can be an usher, but God, I can be an intercessor. And some of you have been beating yourself up because your deliverance is taking too long. There's no such thing for a God who lives outside of time. One of the reasons he's never been on time is because he's never been in time. He's not concerned with how long you've been broken. Some of you are coming out of financial death. And you're beating yourself up because you don't have a big paycheck like Pastor Andrew. But you take that EBT card. I'm going to bless somebody this week and I'm going to feed them. Because I don't have that much to give. But I can cook a little bit. And God's working on my heart because I didn't do people before, some of y'all. <laughs> That's a good example right there. Kelly came to me and I said, I want you to get engaged in community. Start with a small group. Get, I don't do people. That's fine. I want you to go have a meeting with this one. She goes and has a meeting. It wasn't so bad. Okay, we're going to have a big fellowship. Um, mm -mm, mm -mm. Why don't you have a meeting with this person and get to know him? You know what? I like Calvin. And all of a sudden, I got to remind Kelly every week. Why? Are, I'm the pastor. Because this girl's a whole celebrity. I can't go a week without somebody telling me, I was with Kelly this week. What happened? Her deliverance was not quick. It didn't happen from start to finish in just a moment. But she did take her steps. She heard Jesus calling. It wasn't Lazarus come forth. It was her pastor saying, hey, start loving people more. Start being vulnerable. And Lazarus finally comes out, but the job isn't done there. Because he's still tied up. He's still got some phone numbers he needs to delete. That phone ring, that was the Lord. Whoever did that, you're praying. Yeah, because you do know you can come out of the cave and still be tied up. Yeah, yeah. Deliverance doesn't happen overnight. Deliverance is a process, and some of you are beating yourself up. But let me tell you, you can, you can be free and still watch porn. Why? Because coming out doesn't mean that you're untied. Getting saved, giving your heart to Jesus, coming back to the Lord doesn't mean that everything is fixed overnight. David repented for three nights, was restored to the kingdom, but one of his kids tried to kill him. The other one tried to rape his daughter. There are some whirlwinds and some things that happen, not because God hates you, but it's a response to sin. So you got to get untied. Some of you are going to get mad at me, but there are some people you got to get untangled from. Come on, entanglements. It's time you stop playing. It's, you just got to delete and block. I'm not talking about your spouse, Gina, okay? I'm just Do you hear what I'm saying? Financially, if you're gonna to commit to tithing, that means you're gonna to have to get untangled in some other areas. Some of you can't tithe and you have a heart to tithe. Maybe you don't need five vacations this, this year. Maybe, maybe you can untangle one.
Thank you. That's what I was looking for. I was trying to find at least one amen. I'm almost finished. (laughs) They untangle Lazarus. And here's the part of the story. And I've got eight minutes. I'm doing good. Here's the part of the story that I love most of all. I need you to really catch this part because you didn't get this in VBS. They didn't tell you this part of the story. Lazarus gets resurrected. And then you follow down the end of the chapter into the next chapter. And the Pharisees come. Because remember, they didn't believe he could be resurrected at four days. But some of you, where's my chair? Pharisees came in. I guess there was some kind of party or something. You good back there, Tim? I'm about to go off. I can't sit down because my pants are too tight, but we'll figure this out. I need one of those holiness blankets. Does that look appropriate? Okay. okay, good. Gina, we good? Mama Gina. All Lazarus is doing, mind you, he just woke up. He was dead, not sleeping, not in a coma. He was gone. He was playing patty cake with God in heaven. He was gone. He comes back to life. And when you come back to life, and this is just a rule of thumb, when you're getting delivered, shut up. Stop talking, because all of it's going to be wrong. Talk to your pastor, talk to your therapist, talk to your accountability partners, but be careful what you say, because you start talking yourself out of breakthrough and blessing because you don't understand the season that you're in. And what happens when God starts delivering you, you start trying to pull for old friends, old relationships, old jobs, old hookups, old whatever it is. Why do I say that? Because Lazarus gets resurrected. The Pharisees come into the party where Lazarus is, and they were plotting to kill Jesus. And the scripture says they could not because Lazarus was sitting in a corner. Wait a minute. Matt, Lazarus hadn't graduated Bible college. He hadn't paid a lot of money like Pastor Andrew and graduated seminary. He hasn't gone to Bible study. He hasn't talked with Pastor Rhonda about theology. What do you mean they can't kill Jesus because of Lazarus? Let me tell you about a testimony. The reason you've got to go through what you're going through, Christina, the reason you got to go through what you're going through, Vanessa, whatever it is you're going through, is because your survival is a testament of God's arrival. We need five more black people and then we can have church in here. I said your survival is God's arrival. So stop beating yourself up about what you're going through because at least you're here. You may not look as good as Sister Watermelon, but you made it, baby. Through divorce court, you made it. Through, Through custody battles, you made it. Almost lost your mind, but you made it. Lost a couple of bank accounts, but you still made it. Got kicked out of a couple of churches, but you still made it. I'm here, so don't judge my worship. I may be sitting here, but you don't know what this seat costs me. This seat costs me some family members. This seat cost me some friends. I may be looking cute sitting up here, but baby, I had to pray through the night sometimes to get to where I'm sitting. So if you see me sitting, you ought to praise God because my survival is God's arrival. Somebody better give God a better praise than that. I'll slap you upside the head with this microphone. If you understood all the stuff that the person next to you was going through, you wouldn't sit there the way that Calm down. Calm down. Woo! I need you to help me preach for a minute. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, I don't look like what I've been through. Come on, they don't believe you, but I need them to understand. I don't look like the hell that I've come through. I've gone through the smoke like the three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and that bad Negro, and I've come out of the fire, and baby, I don't even smell like smoke. Do you know all the witchcraft I used to dabble in, and you can't even see it? You know all the folks I used to have sex with, and you think I'm a virgin, don't you? Do you know what I've been through? So I'm sitting because I've survived. I was sick before service. I got witnesses, Matt. Kelly, but here's the good news. I heard Jesus calling. I had a couple friends in the room with me who knew Jesus when I didn't have the strength to call on him. And I dare somebody to stand on your feet and give God 
praise that the cave don't hold you to Come on, clap until your spirit's encouraged. Clap until you remember the God you serve. Clap until you remember if God before me. Sit down, I got three minutes. And I'm going to preach all three. How dare you hold back sharing your testimony? What if they judge me? What if they praise? What if they see what you've gone through and can't believe it and say, what kind of God is this? Lazarus didn't do a thing. He just sat. Thank you, sir. Telling you, preaching up here is like SeaWorld. First couple rows. Splash zone. Worship team, give me a minute and then I'm going to call you up. Got to keep them on their toes. I know what deliverance smells like. I, I know what it feels like to be bound up and can't unwrap yourself. <laughs> I know what it feels like to come to church still wrapped up, Adrian. Hmm. I know what it feels like to be on the worship team, wrapped up. Pastor Andrew, don't tell anybody, but I know what it feels like to preach in front of a mega church and still be wrapped up. Because at four years old, when my mom died, and my dad was man enough to make a baby, but not man enough to keep one, my dad left our family, and I was raised by my grandmother, and you hear me talk about that often. And she did the best she could, but she was not the greatest in raising us. She made sure we were well-fed, as you can see, and we were taken care of. We went to private school since we were in the sixth grade. It wasn't until I was an adult that I even knew that we were poor. And um, hear me, listen up. Uh, because my grandmother hustled so much. Every Christmas, our living room, she was like you, Gina. She, she hustled to bless her kids. Our living room was packed with gifts. We went to private school because she went to every adoption agency because she adopted us and literally gave us her name. And she made sure she had enough money. We were going overseas. I was in seventh grade and I thought it was normal for kids to spend a summer in Spain. <laughs> but what she wasn't able to give me was what a kid needs is nurture. Grandmother was a provider, but she wasn't much of a nurturer, which explains a lot of my disposition. I'm not the best hugger, you know. Uh, it was so bad that I remember moments where I would be sitting at the table and I would drop a spoon on the floor and my grandmother would get upset and beat me till half my arm was black and blue. So I'm not talking about just nominal abuse. I would sing around the house. She would say, shut up. And so when I became an adult and went into ministry and people told me that I can sing, I didn't even believe them because my whole life I had been told I couldn't. When my grandmother would get really upset, she tell me that I'm gonna be nothing, just like my dad. It was kind of a emotional topsy-turvy for me because you never knew if it was gonna be a good day or a bad day. One day, we're going out for McDonald's. The next day, I'm putting bandages over cuts because instead of hitting me with a belt, she grabbed the phone and it cut through my skin. To make things worse, by the time I had turned nine years old, one of my relatives for two years would sexually molest me. Now, when a child goes through that, they don't know what's happening. And so I had even suppressed the memories until I was about 20, 21, 22, and I saw my first therapist and went through some inner healing. And I had this memory come back of all these times I'd be taken to a garage or bathroom and mishandled or made to do things that I didn't want to do. And all of that was my childhood. So by the time I got to seventh grade, of course, I gained a sexual addiction. Seventh grade, I'm in a private school, but because I'm a little smarter, and that's not a humble brag, but because I'm a little smarter, they put some of my classes with the high school students. So I get with the high school students, and they start talking about high school student stuff. Now, I'm a church kid. Even though I've gone through some abuse, I've not gone through anything too crazy, because I, all I know is church. We used to go to church seven days a week and five times on Sunday. 
So shut up about our two-hour services. <laughs> in seventh grade, my life was changed for the worse when the boys in my class would start talking about masturbation. I didn't know what that was. And they said, you know, we did this. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I had no clue. They would disciple me. Parents, this is why I'm telling you, don't wait for a youth pastor to disciple your kids because the world will get to them first. You disciple your kids. I need at least three parents to say yes. One day I'm sitting in front of my dining room television and um, as I'm sitting there, a pornographic thing comes up and I won't go too much into it, but from that moment to the time that I would get set free, somewhere latter in my high school years, I would uh, grow from just a heterosexual relationship to the first time in ninth grade having uh, sex with another man. And uh, that would grow until by the time God would set me free. I had had sex with over 200 people. I had prostituted my body only so that I could afford to hire prostitutes because I was grossly addicted to sex. I think I forgot to mention this part. I started preaching when I was 13, because you can preach and still be entangled. I love Jesus with my whole heart. I remember having sex at times, not even wanting to have sex. I was so bound. I was at a service, a revival meeting, and they were a little noisier than y'all. And I was sitting somewhere where Maya's sitting on the second row, and he called me out from the audience, and I had never received a prophetic word, which I held secret disappointment in my heart because I always felt unloved and unseen. And all of the youth had received a prophetic word and I had never received a prophetic word. And so I had given up hope that God would even speak to me because do you know what I did last night? There were Saturday nights that I would spend all Saturday in a sex club. I'd take a shower at six in the morning at the club and go straight to church so that I could lead early morning prayer. Don't you sit here and tell me you can't be in ministry and not be bound. Don't you sit here and judge people knowing the secret sin that's been in your life. You're ministry and still bound. I was sitting in that revival meeting in Pastor Bagwell, hopefully one day we'll be able to have him here he calls me out and he brings me down to the front and he tells me, God, you get to get a passport because God's going to send you around the nations. You're going to travel around Asia. I didn't really care too much because everybody was getting a prophecy about going to the nations. None of us even knew how to spell nations. Like, whatever. But tears start filling my eyes because he looked at me. And no one knew about my secret sin except for the Lord. And I thought, I'm not going to talk to God about it because it's too disgusting. How dare I talk to God about my sin? Because I remember, Castro, I remember sitting at a youth retreat one Sunday. And I, we were having a retreat. And I was a high school student. And he was doing an a, a, a altar call for those who are bound sexually uh, to homosexuality. And everything inside of me wanted to come up shouting for freedom. But I didn't because I thought someone would judge me. I walked away and we were hanging out later that day and all the boys were in a group and one of them started joking, man, I was looking to see who was coming down to that altar because, man, I wasn't going to sleep in their same room and I thought to myself, yeah, I was right. Because let me tell you something about the church. God is quick to forgive, not the church. Listen, for those of you who are coming back to church and not coming back to God, you're going to get hurt again. The church, we're not perfect. We're the pastor's messed up, secret. We're all in a hospital trying to recover. Church is not perfect. Long story short, I come down, he says, you're gonna go to Asia, you're gonna hit like a, he says, you're gonna sound, I gave you this word today, he says, you're gonna sound like a trumpet and hit like a hammer. Tears are welling down my eyes. He laid hands on me, but before he laid hands on me, he said something that I'll never forget to this day. He said, son, you're like Esau in that you've given up your inheritance for a meager bowl of porridge. And if you'll give up instant gratification, God will give you destiny. Yeah. 
800 people in the room, but it was only me and God. The anointing was so thick, I can't tell you what the worship team sang, and I can't tell you what the preacher preached. I can't tell you what part of the service I was called out on, but I can tell you that my hands were sweating and my chest wouldn't stop pumping. And when he laid hands on me, I lost all the energy in my body. I thought I was out for 20 minutes. They pulled me up after two and a half hours. And when I got up, I don't know exactly what freedom is, but I felt free. Whoo! No, 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 you don't understand. I'm talking about the kind of freedom where he gets rid of shame first. Where you don't have to put a, a lock on your phone because you're afraid of somebody seeing your text messages. Where you're not having to delete your internet history. Do you know what it feels like to have nothing to hide? And I've often found that the unbinding of the Lord is when he releases the shame and the sting of sin. Because before you get free of, of whatever proclivity it is you have, God will set you free of the shame and the guilt. If you still care about what people think about your sin struggle, you're not free yet. No, when you get real free, let me tell you how I got. I got good and free. I mean, some people ask, Pastor Dale, when did you get such confidence? It was at this moment where I stopped caring what people think. Because I remember going to preach and they told me, man, you need to depend on the Holy Spirit. Take away those notes. So I, next week I did that. Somebody came up to me and said, you're unprepared. You need to have notes. <laughs> Thought to myself, people are always going to have opinion. I'm going to go with God. But let me tell you, Anthony, I got so free, I started scaring the saints. Didn't mean to. But if you ever want, come here, if you, I'll give you a secret. If you ever want to scare Christians, here's all you got to tell them. The truth. <laughs> Alicia, next time somebody asks you how you're doing, just scare them. Tell them the truth. Alicia, Adrian, next time somebody says, how are you doing? Just be like, come here. Let me tell you how I'm doing. Because when I got free, Christina, people said, hey, Del, hi. Well, they call me Del Shea. You're not allowed to call me that because you didn't know me before I was 18. But this is my family. They said, Del Shea, how you doing? I said, well, I had sex with over 200 men, and I was bound by pornography. would masturbate a few times a day. Um, but remember the revival the other meeting? The pastor Bagwell laid hands on me, and I don't even know what happened. I ain't never fall out in the spirit. I'm too big to fall out in the spirit. The spirit fell out on me, and I was up on the floor, down for two hours, and I got back up, and I don't know. I think I'm free. I, I haven't really looked at porn this week, so I think I'm free. I'm going to go get donuts in the fellowship hall. <laughs> One of the things I love about Collide is that we are growing in capacity to be able to handle every dysfunction that people come up with. Now, I'm going to talk about you. I'm going to tell you, you're crazy. But I'm going to hug your little crazy tail. Because healed people can heal people. <laughs> Worship team, come up so I can shut up. I'll finish with this. What does this have to do, Nate, with the title of my message, The Power of It? It seems like you preached on Lazarus the whole time because I believe many of you are Lazarus. I'm a Lazarus on days. And when I got up from that altar call, Kelly, I can't tell you again what he preached. I, I promise you I would try. I don't even know who led worship. But orth I got up. And it felt like the Holy Spirit had visited Walgreens and bought a bucket and some bleach and walked inside the walls of my heart. And I finally got why they said there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge beneath that flood. They lose all their guilty stains because only the blood of Jesus can do the supernatural cleansing where sin comes in stain. Those sin... I want to spend the rest of my life telling sinners that though your stains be like scarlet, his blood will wash them white as snow. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus. How do you take a blackened heart, dip it in bread blood, and cause it to come out white as snow? Only because of the resurrection power of Jesus. And the story doesn't end here. Because the word says, stand with me, let the redeemed, it doesn't say say some, 
And some of you have been saying some. You've been telling the cute parts of your testimony. Oh, I didn't grow up in church, but yeah, I found Jesus and he found me and now I'm in love. Excuse me, come here. You were an alcoholic, a drug addict. You failed school twice. We're working on a podcast right now for MFI. John, I think you'll like the theme of this podcast. We said the theme of this podcast, we're interviewing very famous church leaders and we're asking them one question. Talk to us about your failures. Yeah, I, we, you're famous. We know the successes. Talk to us about the secrets. Tell us about the times you almost cheated on your wife. You didn't, but you almost slipped up so that I can safeguard myself. Tell me your testimony. Here's the power of your testimony because here's what I want to get our church to. This word, this word and next week's word is for our church. Next week, I'm going to be talking about finding and keeping joy. Joy is not a 12-hour leakage. God wants to sustain your joy. But here's what I want our house to be. I want every Sunday we come in, Vanessa, I want our church to sound like this. (laughs) Matt's gonna be singing like this. Sam's drumming like this. Every time Pastor Andrew gives announcements, I want you to hear him doing this. Because listen, friend, we have been delivered, but we're still being delivered. And some of us have only had pretty church sounds. But we're a messy church, friend. And if you don't share your testimony, if you don't start opening up about all that you've been through, wait, and here's advanced Christianity, about all that you're going through. Because it's easy sometimes to share the victories and the failures, but it's hard to share the process. If you say, and I'm not talking about going around verbally vomiting on everybody. Find somebody that you can love on and trust in this church. This is how you build community. Just be like, hey, I don't mean to scare you, but I want to take you out for coffee. Start with Kelly. If you get uncomfortable, don't worry. She'll talk. Find a pastor. Say, I just, I want to get in practice with telling my testimony. Because your story matters. Your hurts and your pains matter. Why? Because after it's all said and done, I got one last scripture for you. I haven't said it yet. You're sitting in the wrong seat, sweetheart. Don't get up, though, because we're seated in heavenly places. Gina, you were sitting in the wrong seat earlier. That, or That's not your main seat. Now that you're delivered, you've been RSVP'd. You used to be an economy. Now look at you sitting with silverware in first class on your way with a flat bed, eyebrows on fleek, hairline straight, lace front on point, taper fade popping. Come on. Look at you. People can't tell. You don't even look like the depression you're going through right now because you keep pushing. You're saying, I may be bound and going through some stuff, but I'm going to keep coming out. I'm not out yet, but I'm going to keep coming out because when it's all said and done, I'm going to be seated. I want people to look at you because I know many of your stories and now you know my story. If you want to know more, go to our podcast. The whole thing's there. There's, yeah, there's more. (laughs) But two things, two responses. One, are you dealing with some Lazarus issues today? Or two, are you Martha? You're dealing with a Lazarus issue you don't believe God can do anything about anymore. Maybe it's not even about you. Maybe it's about a kid, a family member, a career, an employee, whatever it is. But if any of this word... I'm not going to do an altar call because we've gone over time, but if any of this word has spoken to you on any level, can I just see your hand? Whether you need deliverance or you're going to walk through somebody with deliverance. Okay. Wow, that's most of our church. <laughs> it stinks. Come on, lift up your musty arms. Lift up your musty hands to the Lord. Come on. Would you just, and tears might fill your eyes, but look to heaven and just tell the Lord, thank you. Thank you. I'm not in the cave I was anymore. No, no, no. I need you to really open up your mouth and mean this thing. Remember where you came from. Remember how far he brought you. Remember how you used to spend all night in in your throw up. You, You used to spend all night crying and weeping. But look at you. You got some joy. 
You used to be broke as a joke, and now look at you. You, you haven't had overdraft in a while. You may not be where you think you ought to be, but at least you're not where you used to be. I dare you to open up your mouth and thank God for where you've come from, from all the places that he's brought you out of, all the stuff you don't have to smoke anymore, all the people you don't have to do anymore, all the stuff you don't have to drink anymore. Come on, all of the fear that doesn't bind you anymore. I dare you to, come on, don't look at me. Look at heaven and clap your hands and thank God that we're not, we're not going to hell anymore. We're, come on, Sam. We're not going to hell anymore. We've been set free. We've been set free. We, Sam, where you at? Come on, buddy. We've been set free. I want to give God a high praise, a high praise, a high praise. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.